I've titled the subject, uh, the subject I've given to this today's study is the problem of guilt, but I think I'm going to change it to the blessing of guilt, as I hope you'll see. And this is going to be a, a teaching lesson. I'd like for all of the studies that I bring you to be a teaching lesson, but this is going to be a teaching lesson. Now, we have begun meeting again during the week, but we're doing it on Tuesday evening at 6.45, and we've been stopping promptly at 7.30. And I noticed the last week it didn't get dark to nearly 8.30. So for those of you who have trouble driving at night, I've just removed completely that excuse. <laughs> You'll get home and there'll be plenty of light for you. And uh, later on in June, it won't get dark till 9 o'clock. And I'm going to be teaching this Tuesday, God willing, and I'll live on the subject, the most misunderstood verse in the Bible. The most misunderstood verse in the Bible, one study only. That'll be miraculous, won't it? All right. Genesis chapter 42, and we'll just read verse 21. These are the brothers of Joseph speaking to one another, and they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, when he pled with us, and we would not hear him. Therefore is this distress, this pain, come upon us. And Reuben, who was the oldest of all of the boys, said, Did not I say to you, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Now, later in the chapter, you'll turn down a little bit later after these boys got back home. Let me find the verse for you. Uh, it is verse 36. Once they got back home, and their father Joseph said, Where in the world is Simeon? Where is Simeon? And they said, Well, we had to leave him in Egypt. Why? Well, the governor there said that he was going to hold him until we brought Benjamin to Egypt. And Jacob just absolutely went berserk. And this is what he said in verse 36. He said to them, Me you have bereaved of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. All these things are against me. His boys said, We're guilty. Jacob said, everything is happening backwards, it's against me. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. So you know the background now. There's a terrible famine in the land. And the brothers of Joseph have been forced to go to Egypt. And uh, certainly the two first verses, I want you to look at those two verses, verses 1 and 2 in this chapter indicate 
that they are reluctant to go. Jacob, verse 1, when he saw that there was corn in Egypt, he said to his sons, what are you doing sitting here? Why are you sitting here looking at one another? I've heard that there's corn in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us that we may live and not die. Now the question is, why didn't they want to go to Egypt? There's something here that they fear more than they do hunger. What's their problem? Their problem is a guilty conscience. That's their problem. When they finally got down to Egypt, as we have learned, they had to go before the governor. They bowed to him, gained permission to buy coin. They don't know that the governor is their brother that they betrayed years and years ago. And then the governor began to play games with them. He accused them of being spies. He knew they weren't spies. He put them all in jail for three days, and then he came back after three days and said, I'm going to let all of you go home but one, and I'm going to hold Simeon. And this is in verses 19 and 20. If you are truly true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison, and you go and carry your corn back home, but you bring your youngest brother to me. That's verse 19. And by this... Your words will be verified and you'll not die. And this incident here is what moved them to begin to confess to one another as we read in verse 21. They began to say, we're guilty concerning our brother. We're guilty concerning our brother. And Reuben said, didn't I tell you? When he was crying to us and calling to us, and don't do this to me and don't leave me here. I think they were going to leave him there, first of all. I think they were going to leave him in that pit to die. But then they ended up selling him, as we know, to the Ishmaelites. So now it's 23 years later. 23 years later, over two decades later. Where were you 23 years ago? Some of you weren't even here, wasn't born yet. But where were the, you can go in your mind, where were you 23 years ago? Well, they got the corn they wanted, and then on the way home, one of them opened his sack and to get some corn to feed his animal, and he discovered money in his sack. And such is their guilt, at this point, they feel, I want you to look at verse 28, they feel that they are the objects of divine retribution. They, they feel that they are being especially singled out for a strange and just punishment. Verse 28, their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, what is this that God has done unto us? Would to God this nation would say, what is it that God is doing to this nation? What is it that God is doing? People say, where is God? Well, you said you didn't want him in your schools. You said you didn't want him in your government. You said you didn't want anybody praying in the name of Jesus. You don't want anybody on the public square talking about Jesus. 
What do you mean, where is God? Pray to your own gods. Feel like Israel. The prophet said that to Israel. Go ahead and call on these gods. These gods that can't see. They can't hear. They can't speak. They can't do anything for you. But they're the ones you've been serving. Why call on the Lord now that you're in trouble? Well, when they finally got home, they told their father everything that had happened. They had been required to return to Egypt with Benjamin and appear before the governor. And then while they were telling their father that, verse 35, they were all opening up their sacks, and lo and behold, every man's sack had money in it. And money fell out of every single sack, and it says that both they, verse 35, and their father saw the bundles of money, and they were terribly afraid. So all of them now, including their father Jacob, is paralyzed with guilt. They are paralyzed with guilt because of what they had done to Joseph many years ago. And Jacob, their father, is paralyzed with guilt, no doubt, because in his mind he went back through all the lies and the deceptions that he had been privy to when he fooled his daddy and stole the birthright and pretended that he was his other brother and all that stuff. Remember all that? Jacob's fearful guilt is saying in that remorseful comment that we read in verse 36, all these things are against me. That's what he said. So I'm going to bring four thoughts to you for your mind to consider this morning about guilt. Guilt is a common thing, number one. Guilt is a God thing, number two. Guilt is a cruel thing, number three. And guilt is a good thing, number four. Guilt is a very common thing. Look at those two words, guilt and guilty. When I was tutoring my grandson, Leo, we learned the difference between nouns and adjectives. A noun is a person, place, or thing. An adjective is a word that describes. Guilt is a noun. It can be thought of, first of all, in a judicial sense. That is, in a sense related to the law, related to the courtroom. As guilt would be the state of having committed an offense. But it can also be viewed in a psychological perspective. You can have remorse caused by feeling responsible for some offense that you've done. You feel guilt. Guilt, as I say, is a noun. Guilty is an adjective. It's a descriptive term. Guilty speaks of one who's responsible or chargeable with a reprehensible or for a reprehensible act, like guilty of murder or speaking of the guilty person, or our secret guilty deeds. So guilt can be a description of the state of our mind, a state of our spirit, state of our soul. Now, a person may be guilty and not feel guilt. That's psychopathic. But a person may feel guilt 
and not be guilty. There's one thing that even God cannot forgive. That's guilt that doesn't exist. So the brothers of Joseph were at different times in both categories. After they sold their brother and sent him into Egypt, for over two decades, over 20 years, they apparently felt little or no guilt over their deeds whatsoever. There's nothing, no, no indication in the Scripture they ever talked about it and said, you know, we did the wrong thing. No indication they ever talked about it. They plotted to murder him. They put him in a pit and planned to leave him to die. They sold him as a slave to strangers headed for Egypt. And then when they got home, they lied to their father about his fate and their part in it. But now, some two decades later, over 20 years later, when their father prodded them to go to Egypt, then their deeds of long ago confronted them, and the guilt began to flood their souls. And it comes out after they had appeared before the governor, as we read in verse 21. Many people today plead Guilty by reason of insanity. That's a big deal in the courtrooms today. And I tell you who's insane. You want to write this down? Anybody that fights against God is insane. Anybody that fights against God is absolutely insane. But people that plot murders meticulously plotting out every detail and carry them out, that's not an insane person. That's a person that's fleeing from his guilt. Well, these brothers, now some two decades later, when their father prods them to go to Egypt, now they're, all of a sudden all this comes back. Can some of you relate to some of that in your past? I can Guilt can cause mental and emotional disorders. A neurosis is a various uh, a mental or emotional disorder that has no real or apparent physical or organic cause, like insecurity and anxiety and depression and irrational fears like many of us are hypochondriacs. You know, we think we're sick and we're perfectly healthy. Have you ever thought about it? You go to the doctor, not for him to tell you you're sick, but to tell him, for, you to tell, for him to tell you that you're okay. <laughs> That's why we go to the physician. Then you have a psychosis. That's a severe mental or emotional disorder with or without organic or physical causes characterized by loss of contact with reality and derangement of the personality. That's a person has lost, they have lost contact with reality. And increasingly, we are living in a world that has gone mad. In large part, because of guilt. Now, Dr. Foster doesn't remember this, but probably over 20 years ago, he sent me what I'm about to share with you now. You never know when it's going to crop up. Here it is 20 years later. I thought I should include it here. This is a hospital phone menu. You call the hospital, you get this voice that says, hello, 
and thank you for calling the State Mental Hospital. Please select from the following options menu. If you are obsessive-compulsive, press 1 repeatedly. If you are codependent, please ask someone to press 2 for you. If you have multiple personalities, press 3, 4, 5, and 6. If you are paranoid, we know who you are and what you want. Stay on the line and we'll trace your call. If you are delusional, press 7 and your call will be forwarded to the mothership. If you are schizophrenic, listen carefully. And a little voice will tell you which number to press. If you are manic depressive, it doesn't matter which number you press. Nothing will make you happy anyway. If you are dyslexic, press 9696969696. If you are bipolar, please leave a message after the beep or before the beep or after the beep. Please wait for the beep. If you have a short-term memory loss, press 9. If you have short-term memory loss, press 9. If you have short-term memory loss, press 9. If you have low esteem, please hang up. Our operators are too busy to talk with you. If you're menopausal, put the gun down. Hang up, turn on the fan, lie down and cry. You won't be crazy forever. If you're blonde or brunette, don't press any buttons. You'll just mess it up. This coming week is National Mental Health Care Week. You can do your part by remembering to contact at least one unstable person to show you care. Well, my work is done. You know, sometimes I think I understand, said someone, and then I regain consciousness. You should be able to relate to some of these things because we live in a fallen world. We're not making fun of anybody that has any mental issues. But we're saying that we live in a fallen world and all of us have some or some portion of these issues in our personalities. We should all be able, therefore, to relate to Jacob and his sons. Each one of us has felt guilt at some time or another because guilt is a very common thing. Not only is it a common thing, but guilt is endemic to the human race. That is, only humans experience guilt. None of the animals that were owned by Jacob or his sons felt guilty about Joseph. Not just because they had nothing directly to do with it, but because they were incapable of guilt. Guilt is a very common thing only to human beings. And this brings me to the second point. Guilt is a God thing. A God thing. God created us with the capacity for guilt. 
Only human beings were made as the scripture in the scriptural language in the image of God. The image of God does not have reference to our physical well-being, our physical natures, our physical bodies, but has to do with our mental and emotional makeup. It was the Spirit of God who moved upon the face of the deep, who fashioned the body of the man, Adam, from the dust of the earth, and then he breathed into him, he entered into him to give him life, the life of God. So that means that human beings only, of all the creatures that God made, have the ability to think rationally. You know what it is to think rationally? It's to think God's thoughts after him. See, we have, we have an ethical, ethics, right and wrong, what's good, what's bad. We have an ethical aspect built into our nature. And this is the innate, that is, is the natural to human being ability to understand principles of right and wrong as established by the Creator. That's why what's happening today in America is so disturbing. Because people are acting like that which is abnormal is normal. And that which is bad is good. Because we no longer define, we no longer uh, say that God defines reality. We say that we define reality. We say something's not so until a human being says it's so. Something is not wrong unless a human being says it's wrong. And if we all say that nothing is wrong, then everything is right. Only a human being, think about this now, only a human being can act contrary to his or her nature. A dog will always act within the confines of its nature. It will always act like a dog. The actions of a dog or a cat or a bird are governed by its nature, not by will, not by volition, but by its nature. A human being, on the other hand, is able to act contrary to nature. However, when a human being acts contrary to what the Creator has established as right and wrong, moral, immoral, ethical, unethical, that human being will experience guilt. Okay? Adam, the first man, experienced guilt upon disobedience to his Creator and his Heavenly Father. Very, very quickly, Genesis 2 says, The Lord took the man, put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. So he had a job. He was busy before he ever sinned. And the Lord commanded the man and said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. In the day you eat, you will surely die. What happened? Adam deliberately disobeyed his father by 
receiving the forbidden fruit from the hand of his wife Eve. She saw that the, food, the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took up the fruit and she, did, ate, it, she ate it and she gave it to her husband and he did eat. And what resulted? What resulted from the act of disobedience? What happened? Here's what it says. It says, verse 7, the eyes of them both were open and it says, and they knew. That's a Hebrew word, yadah. They recognized, they perceived, they were cognizant of, they were fully informed, they were conscious of the experience of being naked. Thus, contrary to the will of God, who made them and commanded them not to do certain things. So the first thing they had, they had knowledge. The second thing they had, they had guilt. And the third thing they had, they had shame. Knowledge, they knew Yada, they knew, they recognized, they perceived that they were naked. Then it says, they knew they were naked. Had they not been naked before? Yes. Been naked since God made them. What changed? Now they know guilt. And then what happened? Then they began to cover themselves Verse 7, you see those three things, knowledge, guilt, shame. They began to hide themselves. Verses 8 and 9, from God. Adam, where are you? I heard your voice and I was afraid. Guilt leads to shame and shame leads to hiding. Now today, they almost made it a law about shaming anybody for doing anything wrong. You got programs on TV called My 600-Pound Life. I guarantee you there aren't any 600-pound people in China or Russia. That's because over here, we have more than we need, and whatever we get, we are not required in every case, to have to work for it, to earn it, to get it. If people had a job, if they were working eight or ten hours a day, they wouldn't have time to eat all the time. Somebody's supporting that lifestyle. Somebody's supporting that habit. And I'll tell you who it is. It's the American people through the federal government. And if you say anything about anybody that like that, of course I feel sorry for them. But feeling sorry for them will not help them. You see all the time on television now where somebody gets in trouble with the police because they were fat shaming somebody. So they began to hide themselves, Adam and Eve, verses 8 and 9 of Genesis 3, from God. Because guilt leads to shame and shame leads to hiding. Do you wonder why so many of us play hide and seek with God and with each other? Don't try to find me because I'm hiding. I'm hiding from you and I'm trying to hide from the God who made me. Then it says they were filled with fear, verse 10. What are they afraid of? You mean to tell me they're afraid of their heavenly father? They're afraid of the one who made them? 
the one who gave them life, the one who has given them to each other, and who has given them all things to enjoy. They're afraid of him. Why are they afraid of him? They're afraid of him because now they know guilt. And now that they know guilt, they are ashamed. And because they are ashamed, they want to hide. They want to hide because guilt makes them fearful. You know, my dear friends, it is not it is not fun to feel guilty. I don't like feeling guilty. None of you like feeling guilty. But let me tell you something. Guilt is one of the works of the Holy Spirit. You can't ever see your need for Christ unless you first see you're guilty. You're guilty of sinning against God. And so people don't want to come to a church where they hear that because they don't want to feel guilty. You give me a church where I can tell you how you can live happy, how you can be prosperous, how you can have health and wealth and all of that, and you can fill them up. Turn off all the lights, make the room dark, have smoke coming up over here. What in the world does that have to do with worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ? What does that have to do with opening the word of God? And teaching people what God says in his word. Nothing. The churches now are entertaining people on their way into eternity. Because the preachers, the pastors, the teachers would rather have everybody like them and be friends and have fellowship and do things for the kids. Have something going on for them all the time. Instead of opening up God's word. I'll tell you, people are on the way to perdition. Nobody will listen to me. But I've been saying this for 52 years. Here. I did some preaching before I got here. <laughs> they're filled with fear because they're afraid. They don't, they're guilt. They don't want to face God. They don't want to face what they've done. They're ashamed. They want to hide. And what comes next? Avoidance. Avoidance. Genesis 3, 11 through 13. Avoidance is this. When confronted with guilt, people who are deceived, people who are dishonest with themselves, they play the game of avoidance. I must avoid the truth because I'm guilty. Because I'm not willing to take the blame. In trying to avoid guilt and trying to avoid feeling guilty, I blame someone else. I blame something else, which in reality is blaming God. And that's what Adam did. The woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I did it. If this hadn't happened, Lord, if that hadn't happened, if this hadn't happened, my mother hadn't raised me this way, my dad hadn't done this, so and so and so, I wouldn't be what I am today. That's avoidance. It's not my fault. The fault must be laid at the feet of someone else or of circumstance or of my parents or other people at the feet of God himself. My friends, guilt is a common thing. Number two, guilt is a God thing. Number three, guilt is a cruel thing. Dr. D. H. Griffith says this, Conscience is the knowing part of us 
that which knows together with God and agrees with the revelation of right which comes from him. In other words, you can never know what ought to be unless you agree with God in what he says ought to be and ought not to be. Then you're not confused. But if you're listening to these socialists, these social psychologists and psychiatrists and all of these people today, you're going to end up being confused. You can only be unconfused by finding out what the Creator says. Conscience is the knowing part of us, that which knows together with God and agrees with the revelation of right which comes from Him. You know what guilt does? Solomon said in Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked flees when no man pursues. What is it, what's wrong with that? That's, that's a guilty person. People live in fear in this world. Emophobias is a fear about everything. You know why? It's rooted in the fear of God. You know why? Because we're guilty. And we don't want to deal with it. Seneca, a Roman philosopher, said this, every guilty person is his own hangman. Every guilty person is his own hangman. Why did Judas return the money he had taken to betray Christ? He took it back to deal with his guilt. But that wasn't enough, so he went out and he hanged himself because he couldn't live with his guilt. Guilt is a cruel thing. And then lastly, guilt is a good thing. Guilt is evidence of the personality of the Creator, the image of God within us, though it has been broken, though it has been defiled, though it has been corrupted, it's still in us. We can't get rid of it. We know when something's right or wrong. Unless we do it enough, if we do it enough, if you read Romans chapter 1, but they kept on, kept on, kept on, said God gave them over. They kept on, kept on, kept on, God gave them over. They kept on, kept on, kept on, God gave them up. It's all in Romans chapter 1. We've got a generation in America today who will be given up, being given up, and being given over. Because they don't want to hear the word of God. Guilt is a good thing. You know, evolution cannot account for guilt. Aristotle's unmoved mover cannot account for guilt. The gods and the goddesses of the world's great religions cannot give a credible apology or a defense for the phenomenon of guilt in human beings. Guilt is evidence that man is superior to all other creatures. That he himself was fashioned by God himself. Listen to me now. Remorseful awareness of having done something wrong, self-reproach for inadequacy or wrongdoing, the entire concept of sin all indicate that human beings are more noble than any other creature on earth. If there's one thing 
I'm not sure it's altogether separating us now, but if there's one thing that separates us from animals, it's the experience of guilt. A pack of wolves or a pack of dogs are never remorseful. They're never sorry. They don't experience guilt for attacking and killing a child who just happened to be passing by. But a human being who hits somebody with a car or accidentally shoots somebody or kills somebody intentionally will experience guilt. But dogs and wolves won't. Listen, guilt is the witness of God in us of our need for forgiveness, our need for cleansing, our need for reconciliation to the God who made us. No normal human being, people who are born with all of their faculties and all of their abilities, no normal human being can come into the world without the awareness of God through guilt. Even the heathen, Paul says, have a witness of right and wrong. The conscience itself will bear witness of secrets in the great day of judgment. Listen to this. Romans 2 Beginning verse 14, for the Gentiles, which do not have the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these not having the law, are law unto themselves. And they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in the thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing. In other words, when you do something, your conscience either says that was good or that was bad. You ought not do that. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. I read one theologian years ago. He talked about the book of Revelation when it says, And the books were open. He said he believes one of those books is going to be the conscience. It's going to be the mind of man. Because all the things that we've ever experienced and all the things we've ever said and all the things we've ever done is all filed away back here in the chip. It's filed away in a chip. These computers are just trying to mimic human beings' mental abilities. The brothers of Joseph repented of their deeds in that verse 21 because of their guilt. They said, we are guilty. That's what they said in verse 21 of Genesis 42. They said, we're guilty concerning our brother. And he heard them. Verse 23, they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. He heard everything they said. They were guilty. They thought of the murder of their brother. But listen, we're guilty of the murder of God's son. That's right. We're guilty of the murder of God's son. You know, from the human perspective, the death of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is the most heinous crime in history. Because he's the only one that was absolutely pure and clean and innocent. 
and righteous. And yet they murdered him. But from the perspective of salvation, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. From the perspective of those human beings that hated him, that his blood be on us and on our children. That's what they said. When uh, Mel Gibson made the Passion, he eliminated that. He eliminated it because of pressure from the Jewish community. That's what they said. It's recorded in the scripture. Now, here's what the Bible says. Listen to me and I'm through. Exodus 34, 7, the God of Abraham will by no means clear the guilty. Romans 3, 19, the law finds us all guilty. All have sinned, Romans 3, 23, and come short of the glory of God. Number three, if you keep the whole law and you offend in only one point, you're guilty of the committed sin against the whole law. James chapter 2, verse 10. Number four, our Lord Jesus Christ was found guilty of death by his accusers, but was he? No, he was innocent. However, he was made guilty for our sakes. Listen, here's what it says. For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. He made him to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took our place, those who trust him, in order that we might take his place and receive all the blessings and all the glory that he earned. And so number five, confess your guilt. Joseph's brothers did. Genesis 42, 21, they said, we're guilty. Joseph heard them. Joseph heard them say, we're guilty. <laughs> and you might say that Joseph is a picture, he's a portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he heard them say, we're guilty. He cried to us and we wouldn't listen. But let me tell you this, if you can say this morning, I'm guilty, I'm telling you, God hears you. The Lord God Almighty, the Father in heaven, hears you when you say, I'm guilty concerning the death of your son. It's because of my sins that he had to come into the world and die on the cross in the first place. If we weren't sinners, God wouldn't send his son. And then people turn around and think they can be good enough to go to heaven. I think I told you, but Bruce Jenner, maybe you know who Bruce Jenner is. He was with the Kardashians. Uh, he was married to Mrs. Kardashian for years, and then he decided he wanted to be a female. And he was asked on television, so I'm not saying anything he didn't say. He was asked on television, what will you say to God when you go to heaven, if you go to heaven? He said, I will say, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. Well, brother, I can tell you, you haven't. Oh, my heart breaks for somebody like that. 
he can't go back. Have you ever read in the book of Hebrews how Esau sought to go back and to overturn? It said he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. How'd you like to go out and meet God in a body that you had made for yourself opposite than the body he gave you? I wouldn't be in that person's shoes for anything in the world. But you don't have to do that. (laughs) All you got to do is just say, you don't want anything to do with your son. Don't have anything to do with him. I'll take care of myself, thank you. Joseph heard his brothers say, I'm guilty. And you know, later he pardoned them. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Our Lord took our guilt. This is the message of good news about guilt. Listen to this. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He is the word of the Lord, Jesus is, to all who are guilty. And if you desire to be rid of your guilt for time and eternity, then confess it, go to him, say the only hope I've got is the righteousness of your son who died for sinners, and I'm a sinner, and I'm accepting, I'm receiving that offering. That's the only hope I got. Can't do anything with my guilt. All I can do is believe that you threw it all on him and he paid for it. And that's what happened at the cross. Leave you with this final word here. Deuteronomy 21 verse 9. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you. When thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Deuteronomy 21, verse 9. You do what's right. You know what's right? Embrace God's Son. Go to Him with all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your mess. And cast yourself on Him. May the Lord add His blessings to the teaching of His Word.